seeing is that the, you know, the long-term future is there's just a lot of question marks, is what I gather. So it seems that the most effective use of this group and our time and talents is to focus on uh, a more near future plan uh, and, and really start to identify what it is that we currently are working with and what we would like to see um, done with the assets that we, we currently have in an attempt to kind of reach more in our community and elsewhere um, in the broader community, namely Phoenixville. So, was there any other follow-up thoughts or anybody would wanna uh, begin somewhere in that thread? I was hoping we might have time for sustainability. Oh, sure. So you're asking for more concrete mini visions? Uh, I'm asking for what anybody wants to bring forth, but um, also from my understanding we were going to identify kind of current assets, current uh, um, things that we, we have within our grasp at the moment that we could be utilizing. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, yeah, you could frame that in a, in a, in a, a a short-term realistic dream for what we currently have yeah I can it, there is one thing and maybe that isn't really what you're looking for but I you may know that outside this big window here in Iduna uh, the bushes that are out there the azaleas are dying or sick or not good and ugly and a little mini vision I have is to pull all of that stuff out and um, begin to build this fragrant fragrancy plant or some lab, you know, whatever blooms, but to also have something that blooms consecutively so that it's not just a, a week once a year, but actually you have something eye-catching throughout the spring, summer early fall season and uh, to spend the winter just thinking about that a little bit, what actually could go in there. So that is a little mini vision I have. I think that could be spread, not just in this area, but in general. I know, Mason, you've said that you planted this, this um, last <coughs> border for that reason, to have something blooming at all times. And I think that raises a question which maybe we could discuss here is that all, all the gardens need attention, all the house gardens, all the building garden, gardens need attention. Um, and it's kind of been a, a question of whose responsibility is it to actually do that. And I think everybody has put forth a bit of effort. Um, and I'm wondering if anybody has any ideas on how next season, um, spring time, summertime, how can we just make it better? Mm -hmm. I mean, I could say something about that. I also have some other things I want to share. Sure, yeah. um, <laughs> and I, I'm going to leave in nine minutes, so sorry. Um, I, I, we just came from an outreach committee meeting where we talked about using the volunteer sign-up that Adrian's just started to manage general volunteers with the Sultan Association. And I think we could, I actually think the house garden is like, if we just had three people that were like the house gardens committee and they were the people that said, I'm going to be responsible for this this year and they held each other accountable and 
sign up for volunteers, and we will have people that will want to volunteer um, in the spring, and it's always hard to just sort of not know where to go with, like, business people that, like, want to do something, you know? Do you know what I mean? So, like, to have a, a focus on house gardens, I think that would be great. Yeah, but that to me seems like a volunteer activity that just needs some coordination. So do you think that the appropriate place for something like a, a house garden committee would be sort of a something the estate committee would head up or the housing committee? I don't think it's a state. It's a, it's, yeah, state. But it, but we should like say that this is a discrete, it's not, the orchard crew isn't automatically responsible for the house garden. Right. Tom isn't automatically responsible. It, it would be select people that feel that they want to do this and then are in contact with external volunteers. Mm -hmm. This whole idea with the outreach committee and that uh, volunteer sign-up tool that, that, that Adrian is using for Soul Kitchen, we really want to bring that back into the co-group meeting um, and, and really this is a great tool and want to access the volunteer body that's out there. Yeah, I, I like that. I think the gardens were kind of weighing heavy on a lot of people's minds and it's just a matter of delegating it and getting it done. So hopefully, you know, people within the estate committee with the help of volunteer coordination can, can put that together better. Um, maybe just to say, I was really, I listened to your summary, I didn't listen to the whole recording of the meeting last time, but your summary was really great, and I love this, um, um, the perspective of actually looking at what we have and going from that place, rather than like a long-term vision of what it's going to be, and like, I, and I know farming and horticulture has its own sort of timeline that's sort of like out of your control in some ways, but I also feel like those sorts of questions that exist around the future of campus. I totally understand how it's annoying to not know what's gonna happen, but I also just wanna bring the perspective that we actually never know what's gonna happen. And um, on a certain level, there's a real freedom in being able, we, we could choose to see it as a freedom of not feeling the pressure of planning for 10 years, but actually knowing like we can organize our thinking about what we wanna do in 12 month chunks or something. Um, because like Limerick is right down the street and it could go and then you know even our awesome tenure plan would be totally gone and then it would just be a totally different question um, <laughs> or no question at all <laughs> right. um, I also just want to say from the perspective of the foundation um, it really I when I'm giving tours or something it really I, I would join the house garden committee because I like gardening I don't always have a vision for gardening, but it really does send a message to people that are new to this place when things aren't taken care of and when they are taken care of. And even if it's a little wild and woolly, it's okay as long as it's not just like totally overgrown with weeds. Um, and so, and, and then there's also a lot of people that come in that way that might want to help out with that. So it would be just good to have a focal point for that. Um, and then I just wanted to talk just briefly before I go about my experience at PAX which uh, where I'm at three days a week now and um, is a food pantry that connects with the Chester County Food Bank. But like when I got there in September, it was just tons of fresh produce that was delivered on Monday. 
and they don't have enough storage to actually keep it refrigerated. So they basically try to get rid of everything on Monday. So if you're coming in for a monthly food appointment on Monday, you could get cucumbers, tomatoes, like radishes, everything you can imagine. But if you come in for your food appointment on Thursday, you're basically stuck with some wilted kale that, or like weird vegetables that no one knows, like watermelon radishes. They're weird looking, but no one <laughs> wants awesome. to take them. They, they, they do look awesome, but, but now that it's December, all that's ever really there are these like gnarly carrots and these big beautiful yams or sweet potatoes and there's just no greenery anymore and there's a real, like this is just food that goes to people that can't afford it and if we could be growing, and I don't know if we can do tomatoes in the greenhouse in January, but it's like kind of thought that's what greenhouses were for. Like if we could just even like halfway through the week do some kind of drop off, that would be just like getting food in people's bellies that don't have access to food. Um, and I would love to see us develop a relationship like that. And then the other thing, just living out there, um, the, oh yeah, people are poor all year long. So it's Christmas and everyone's doing food drives and like dropping off all sorts of like you know, roasted red peppers that expired in 2014 and stuff like that. You know, everyone's cleaning out their cabinets and we've got this huge influx. But when you get to the summer, it's just no one's thinking about donating food. It's, we have the produce then. But so if we could think about like partnering with food pantries or food banks and finding out when the, when the dry seasons are and then filling that need because we're actually thinking about poverty year round and not just at Christmas and that would be really great. Um, and then, as just someone who lives in town, um, a service that I would pay a lot of money for is just a composting service, like a composting service, and not just for food scraps, but for like yard waste. Um, we had moles, voles, something in our yard because we had like a big pile of sticks and stuff in our backyard that we just never dealt with. Um, and if we could figure out a way to use campus to generate revenue. That would be fantastic, not just because of financial reasons, because that's an indication then that we're actually doing something that people need. And that's what I'd also be looking for in all of these ideas. Like, it doesn't need to be US dollars, it could be saltings, it could be tomatoes, but like something that is generating like that money exchange energetic activity would be really cool. And Did you say, I I'm, I'm didn't hear you, but with the bowls in reuse, because you've said before you're interested in potentially saltine facilitating um, other kinds of um, horticultural work in Phoenixville. That's not something you're interested in? No? I thought, uh, what, 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 let's just say, um, a little bit like I was talking to you about doing something like this, that people could be taught how to um, do growing in their backyards kind of thing. Oh, yeah, and that yeah, yeah. saltine and parsable helping could maybe, you know, do that. I don't know. I'm yeah. just saying that's an idea that I think we've had and it would be interesting to know whether that's just us and whether that's something that can be organised with various people who look for things to do. I'll speak to the composting bit briefly. We do um, a residential compost pickup just through Parsival, with all of the Parsival houses in Phoenixville and the cafe. And we probably get 10 to 12, 10 five gallon buckets of compost a week. 
from the houses and also on campus as well. I know that um, the reason why it hasn't been expanded more so is you need a trash haulers license. Mason, correct me if I'm wrong about this, and that if that just didn't happen at the moment, and also the biggest setback with compost pickup on a larger scale is the vehicle. So right now we use the 12-seater, and it's it's not ideal for compost, especially when it's the middle of summer and it's full of maggots and all of these things. So I it's, it's incredibly possible, and and I feel like, yes, let's do it, but um, and we could pick up your compost. Um, on the way because we're doing Phoenixville anyway, and if it's we're doing it for, for it's it's not a, a open to the public service at the moment, right. but within the Soltane Parcelville community, we can open it up to maybe a, a radius within Phoenixville employees. That would be cool. Like, yeah, breaking market. And it's cool to think about that stuff is like starting in house and then like working out the logistics, and then one day like okay, we've been doing this for three years. We really know we want to open it up. We want to buy a van. Or even Soul Kitchen on Thursday and Friday, if people come for a meal, they could drop their um, compost off. I mean, we could work out the details. <coughs> You'd have to have maybe your truck park in front of something, because mm -hmm. you don't want it in there. Mm -hmm. I, think I, I don't know, but that's, yeah, I mean, it'd, it'd be interesting to find ways to do things like that, but maybe if that 101 bridge thing goes on, that's a better location for that. Right, or the garden next to the cafe. Mm -hmm. A drop-off point would be more ideal than house-to-house pickups, so. Yeah. Okay. But I, I just love the idea of looking at what is already here, what's already working mm -hmm. well, like, and expanding on that, that actually we're already doing it, maybe it's just a question of, like, packaging or thinking around what we're already doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe just to say with something that's already here are also the raised beds outside Roland Johnson building that way back when Anselm and Adela put together. So there are two raised beds that could be a very modern, I thought you last week Rick talked about it needn't be miles and miles of stuff, it sure. can start very small sure. and to maybe think for the coming 12 months, uh, do we want to put up some additional raised beds? That, that are manageable uh, and yeah, you have yours with, with the herbs, but, but to just see a little bit, I get very attracted to the idea of providing food when, when people aren't thinking about providing food. Um, and we don't grow a lot of food in general yet. And that would be the thing, I mean, you wouldn't want to provide tomatoes in January to the shelters or, you know, the community pack centers. But what you'd want to do, because that inherently, even in the greenhouse, you'd be soaking, you know, you'd be blowing through the propane pretty quickly, which is inherently unsustainable. But uh, you could grow spinach in there all winter and probably, I haven't really seen the greenhouse. I don't really know what size it is, but, you know, most other hardy greens, I mean, you could have those all winter with, with no heat or a bare minimum of, of heat. And really, if you want to look at the compost thing, you know, Bennett Compost in Philly, it'd be something to look at as a model because they do a whole service of picking up and taking to a composting site. And then they send back to the folks who they pick up from compost if they want it 
for raised beds in their backyards or, you know, something to that effect. I'm not sure the logistics of how they do that, but it's a, it's gotten to be a fairly big operation, but it would be something to like look at, you know, just so you can see how someone else is going about that. What is it called? Uh, Bennett Compost. Yeah. And they started very small, just they had tables at farmers markets just telling people about the service, getting people to sign up. And they were doing what you're talking about, you know, I mean, they were driving, I don't know what kind of vehicle they had, but they, I think they were going house to house. And it must have been a logistical nightmare at some level, but, you know, I'm sure they'd be interested to talk about it, you know, fill in on the trials and errors. Yeah, and to speak to assets, I mean, the, the composter is really amazing, and I think is one of the biggest horticultural, agricultural component we have on the estate. So it would be really neat to see that. that uh, yeah, Rick, if you have a moment, I could we could go up after the meeting if you have time. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, I was in there once, but I never responded. So what I'm hearing is that a lot of people want to see food being grown more so, um, and that it requires time and, and manpower, which I guess those who are interested, and in, it seems like there is interest if there's more of an organized setting for it, um, but it also does, you know, buying of the seed, amending of the soil, water, all of these things also take money. Um, is there any ideas on how, I mean, if we're going to be growing food for packs, that sounds really wonderful. Um, and it could be something that a parcel group does, and that's where the, the money would come for it. And that's an option. Does anybody see any, any, want to speak to any of the financial ways about the actual buying of the seed, these sort of things? Well, there was the conversation that um, the compost perhaps might be something some, some folks sign up for, and in that there could be uh, a monetary exchange of some sort, um, and maybe things could be sourced out of that project, seeds could be sourced out of that project. If we're looking at what we have and what we have is a composting but what we so don't have is a, is a, a vehicle that's adequate and or a trash hauler's license and a, and a business plan around opening that to the public. So having actual money come from that composting endeavor isn't something that we have at the moment. So I'd, I'd be wondering whether, um, you know, what you did for your barista class, you approached ah. some, mm -hmm. some coffee people, it, except that I hesitate to mention it because Sultan asking Turtle Tree for a donation of seeds is really awkward, so mm -hmm. it, 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 it just wouldn't fly. But maybe mm. we can we can go down that avenue and to a certain point that yeah. wouldn't be enough, maybe. And whether um, uh, the wine event cash ask whether there could be some kind of cash ask that has that as a little sub-strata. And also, it's one pack of seeds makes a lot of plants, depending 
know what you're growing. Oh, so sure. I, right. I, I, I check myself and think, okay, we don't need to grow for a 300 member CSA. We need to grow what we can. Okay. You know, we can give what we can. Um, the, the thing is, if somebody is clever enough, because it's not me, to actually figure out if we buy this truck for this amount of money and we do this compost thing getting that and this is how much it costs to run and this is all the labor and this is all that and adds it all up and then says okay this is what we're not going to make to make break even in this year that year if, we, if, if that happens and we do that let's just say realistically then, then, then anything that actually adds up is possible. We don't, we don't have, we don't have a, a problem financing our activities if, you know, if they're actually going to bring in return. I think the bit of that, how do we do that adding up and see that it's realistic? That's the bit that has been problematic, to put it mildly. We often, I particularly often overestimate income. Mm -hmm. underestimate expenses and then we just go to the foundation and say sort of bail us out and we kind of have to stop doing that so that's just to say if it's just if, if, if you knew this was as close to a sure thing as possible and you could point out this 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 and this and it was just like well we don't have the money to do this that's not the issue it's is it actually sustainable economically and you know how much are you going to stake your whatever, whether it's your soul change, your reputation, or, you know, your own money on saying that this plan is actually going to happen in the way that you present it. Because, yeah, we, we have an unfortunate track record, not only me, but, uh, you know, many people uh, of not actually being right when it comes to this. So, you know, uh, I just want to mention that it's it's not impossible it's just figuring it all out could we talk about sustainability for a few minutes sure. in our recent uh, enterprise leadership meeting we sort of recognized four types of sustainability financial as Adrian was just talking about environmental personal and social as in the social justice impacts of the work we do and um, so the financial says, can we afford it? The environmental says, is it revitalizing or devitalizing the landscape? The personal says, is it burning people out and not sustainable from a retention point of view? And the social is, is it having those social impacts like reaching Phoenixville that we were just talking about? Um, so I originally thought the second meeting was around sustainability, so that's why I had to sort of get that off my mental clipboard. The, uh, coming back to like the near term, I brought in some products that we have and we could sell at the store and I need to sort of connect with uh, Larkin about that. And there's a story behind every product, whether it's um, a dry flower kit, rolled beeswax candles, herb tea, berry blues, apple butter, applesauce, the applewood smoking chips, or the cider. And, and because the cider orchard fruits heavy every other year, it's a near-term t 
topic of how are we going to capture that harvest. So can I say a little bit about cider or is it the wrong place? Am I out of line? No, I mean, I... It costs us money to make any one of these products. And for cider, it's about a dollar fifty a gallon that we pay at Bauman's for pressing, flash pasteurizing, and packaging, and they have the license to do it. So we spend a certain amount. But what you might not be aware of is in a, a good apple harvest year, to take 10 bushels a week to a regularly scheduled appointment at the cider mill is a lot of harvest work to organize. So the, uh, the mowing, the shaking, the catching, the sorting, all of that's a pretty big crew. But this past year, because the orchard does this alternate bearing, we didn't have to answer how we're gonna do this. But we might wanna give it some thought in the near future, how would we do that? And um, how would we weigh, as Adrian was suggesting, the, the old-fashioned way of weighing is the scales, you know, that balance with the two trays. And if we think of these four areas of sustainability, the balance is between four trays. It's the environment, it's the finances, it's the personal, it's the social impact. And what I'm hearing Adrian say is, if we can make a case for why something works, um, then we can run in that direction kind of thing. So our best income yield for apple cider has not been just drinking it ourselves or selling it at $3 or $5 a half, but actually selling to the cafe, which can serve it by the glass, and thus the orchard makes a little profit with the markup, and the cafe makes a little profit, and people who otherwise would never set foot on campus get a taste of the apples here. And, you know, historically the orchard was planted, a duna orchard, you've seen a little myth over there on the wall about uh, the orchard, that it was the metaphor of land care as social therapy. If we're caring for the land, it's a reflection of we care for people. So, you know, that, that's one of the social impact pieces of the cider. So I just wanted to share those things. And yet we've never made a lot of money off any of these products. It's at best in maybe the hundreds of dollars. And even though underperforming uh, this past year, we made more with Nat Mill Nursery than we've ever done with any of these land products in the past 10 years. So I just wanna share that because you might not know. And the other thing is, it's, I love all the ideas I'm hearing, so I don't wanna give a false impression. But is anyone aware of the new food rules that go into effect in two years? Rick knows. I mean, gap certification, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. I mean, I'm well aware of that, yeah. I mean, up until now, it hasn't been a mandatory thing for farms. You know, it's more been a wholesale-driven or retailer-driven. Well, Penn State Cooperative Extension is now offering classes for people to get the training, the seven sure. new regulations that are going to affect anyone growing food. And although there's an exemption for small operations that do less than $25,000, so to Alyssa's thing, we don't need a trash haulers thing if we're not charging for it. But the moment we charge for it, then we have to get licensing and follow these regulations. So I say that not out of a big 
hurdle or a block, but we should not go blindly into what this takes. Um, <coughs> there's a lot of ramifications for it. And it reminds me a little bit of how this whole Parsifal Sultane reorganization came about because of economic and licensing questions. We are where we are today because of that. And um, so we've always been kind of small producer. But I heard last week that we're looking towards the land as kind of substituting for all, you know, for, for generating more income than we've ever done before. And if we do that, then it goes again to Adrian's point of having a strong enough business plan to do that. And I really like the retreat idea because since we pivoted back in 2003 from being agriculture to being educational, if we had to sell, it would be to an educational institution or organization because the water system, the wastewater system was all required because now you're an educational property housing so many people, you're not just a, a farmstead shared living situation. So we invested in the wastewater and the water treatment system as a result of pivoting from agriculture zoning to educational zoning. And so I think rather than lament that, we ought to think of how does education on this site fit into the retreat center? Somebody's coming for yoga workshop or art workshop or something, then we're functioning educationally. But just to throw out this thought that came, if there was a, a small alternative school, sometimes you have these small alternative high schools that needed to lease some space, that could be a good tenant uh, to think about. So, I'll stop. Yeah, just one thing. I, I don't know that last weekend, obviously, I shouldn't be saying anything, but I'm going to say it anyway. But, like, I, I don't know if last week anyone floated the idea that this, of recreating this into some sort of, like, farm business, you know, per se, but having a landscape that was had agriculture embedded into it as a coalescing value around which something like a uh, retreat center would function, you know. And so you're not talking about trying to make two hundred thousand dollars growing food. Um, you know, you're trying to make the landscape vital instead of being, you know, a suburban lawn. <clears throat> you know, really, and, and I don't know, just because you have gardens around, you know, in, in a sort of systematic way doesn't necessarily mean you're converting. In fact, it's, it's the basis of education. You know, that is the basis of educational programming that is now becoming popular and is now becoming necessary, really. I mean, so I think your thing and that are completely in tune, really, you know. <clears throat> I, I think I agree with you, Rick, in that I'm not sure that I ever saw the land as the sole financial provider to sustain endeavors here within Sultane. Um, it's more of just bringing it to its potential or just at least caring for it in a way that we should feel obligated to do so. So from just my opinion, trying to you know, squeeze a lot of money out of the land isn't something that I, 
if I think of the long-term and or short-term future of Sultane, it's not, um, it's not an agricultural business per se, it's just Sultane as this concept that resides on this piece of property and how do we care for this property and how do we appreciate and nurture the gifts that it gives us. So maybe that is similar to what you said. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, I mean, if anything, you could almost think of it as uh, being, a, you know, a future of agriculture demonstration site. You, you know what I mean? As opposed to some sort of working model for income. Because I actually do think, you know, if you're going to garner income from growing food, it's going to be coming out of that greenhouse. Yeah. As a full year-round operation that has nothing but growing food going on in it. Yeah, I don't know what the square footage of that greenhouse is. 60 by 70. 60 by 70. My math is not very quick, so I don't know the square footage on that. Or off the top. 4,200. 4,200. I mean, you know, really, I mean, just, just from knowing, you know. So that's a tenth of an acre. A tenth of an acre. You know, just from gro growing for, for years in 30 by 120 foot high tunnels with no supplemental heat. You should be growing food out of that thing all year round, constantly. And there's markets to sell that food, and that's not, you know, and you're not even talking about trying to get money from food out of the ground necessarily, if you know what I'm saying. You know. I just wanted to say what attracted me to what you were saying earlier is the description of vitalizing the 52 acres that we sit on. And um, that's one thing. What attracts me also is growing the spinach in the winter months mm -hmm. and giving it to packs and finding somewhere the seeds, you know, whatever. So, so to use the greenhouse, what it's good for, and to use the land, what is needed to actually vitalize it. And vitalizing means you don't for nine months look at green and then for two months, three months look at brown. That, that is... Um, and really, if you were growing greens in that greenhouse all winter, you know, only a portion of that is, you know, they're only going to be able to take so much at PAX or wherever that is, yeah. you know, because, you know, uh, I already forgot square footage, but, you know, 4,200 square feet, I mean, you know, one iota of that in spinach is going to packs, and it's more than they can handle. You know, I mean, you, you're talking, there's there's some there for not only your business ventures that already exist, if you want to, I don't know how that sort of inter-organizational exchange takes place, really, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, Kimberton Whole Foods is a big supporter of Sultane, as far as I can tell. They probably love to have Sultane spinach all winter, you know? And even if it wasn't, done in, in a commercial way, I would believe and hope that in within our own community of Parcival and Sultane, we could have our own, rather than kind of, I mean, if we're gonna look sh short term in terms of next season or the next two seasons, what if we grew and we did our own internal CSA program? So rather than people going to Giant to buy their food, why don't we, we can grow, they don't have to buy their spinach at Giant. We could we could grow it. And then whatever is above and beyond that goes to PACS because if I'm right, donations don't have to, donations kind of fly under the radar for things like this. I, don't and I mean, then we can I mean, talk about really that. What do you mean by flying You have to have a lot of different types. 
if you're going to sell to the public, your, your food has to be certified in different ways. Well, I, I mean, I, I can speak to that a little bit too. I mean, at least up until now, I can't speak necessarily to the two years in the future, although I've gone through some GAP programs to prepare for the stuff that came out of the Food Safety Modernization Act. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, and I've managed farms that have grossed over $200,000 a, a year. And we had no food handlers license. And we weren't flying under the radar. You know, uh, like I said, I cannot speak to the two years from now exactly without doing my research. But at this point, that's, you just don't need a food handler's license to go sell food. You need insurance. You know, if you're going to do farmer's markets, which I know you're not, you're going to need liability insurance, which might be good to have, too, if you're doing wholesale, you know, to some degree. But you don't need a special, like, safe serve program, food handlers, like, whatever it might be, as of right now. Anyways. Can I just say, um, this, this is just my experience in my life, because I was a lawyer, and... A lot of conversations about ideas and visions can be um, impacted by questions of regulation and rules. And I'm not saying that they don't exist. I just think they don't belong in vision conversations. But only because if you decide what you want to do, um, and this is like, you know, maybe there have been some examples where this isn't true, but my personal experience is that it, if you have a will, there's a way and all that stuff. Um, sometimes you find out the hard way, but usually the other thing to say is the sort of work we do um, often, actually um, people wanna help you with that sort of stuff. So I, I, I just think that, I'm not saying we should sort of stop talking about it, I just, uh, I get sort of personally nervous every time I hear about people talking about rules. I really, if I may add, I really like this vision aspect of the land being therapeutic, um, you know, the social justice aspect, the healing, vital, like these things are what I'm picking up, uh, educational, and um, I'm just like, when I think of my, let's say, year to three years, but even relating it to more just like 12 months, uh, I would like to see more of that talk being at the forefront of this. Um, bringing people into uh, the estate here in Glenmore, um, having it being a nurturing, healing, educational experience. I like the idea of like, I don't know, like even something like PASA or somebody like having a conference here. Like when we talk about retreats, I keep thinking about like all this dialogue about food, all this dialogue about health and nutrition and the future and it's like, I think a lot of it is focused around food and what we intake, um, what we grow, what we, you know, um, our sustenance. And uh, I think it'd be great if like, we're holding conferences here on a lot of these topics. And I, I just think that's not, uh, I think it's potential. I think it's a potential that would be beneficial um, for a lot of our conversations just finding out a way for us to facilitate a space that's inspiring, um, to facilitate a, a space for inspiring minds to come to, 
and then also for us to be nurtured from having those inspired minds here and you know, participating in the conference or whatever we might be able to find ourselves. <coughs> so I just wanted to get that up before I forgot it. I just read an article um, which describes really scientifically proven decline of the nutritiousness of food that's being grown because of the methodologies that are used of how it's being grown. And when you, Rick, speak about um, education, you know, be it schools, be it kids, I mean, Mason worked forever in a school garden that showed children where food comes from and what it takes to grow it and all of that. I think that that's, that again is attractive to me. We have these stations for fitness around the place and uh, maybe it's time to replace them with stations of... Um, yeah, again, I just see raised beds, even if the deer do come and eat it all up in the end, but it, to have just something that when you walk through the place, you can look at and understand what you're looking at in time and have other people come. So this has always been zoned uh, educationally, as far as I know. It was changed in 2003, I believe. I... Anyway, it's, it's, it's always been, been educationally focused being here, and I think what we are really experiencing is and Mason, you brought that up when you first started working here a second time, that how do we shift the culture of this place so that we don't just walk on, on the ground, but actually love it? Mm -hmm. And uh, it brings me back to the question I asked you. And the things we have so far talked about, these little mini visions of vitalizing and fragrant gardens and retreat centers and art events and what have you, um, people will want to spend time here when it feels a certain way. And uh, they say already it's beautiful, but I think it could be better. And your dying plants. I, I mean, die, for dying, oh, plants for dying. dying. You're dying. <laughs> <laughs> but being reborn in the color of the fabric. <laughs> Sorry, oh my god. No, it's okay. Awesome. In the website stuff, I wrote dying, like death. And uh, I think Krista was like, I think he spelled that wrong. So, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. What about other things on the land? <laughs> Should I say that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, two Angora goats are coming, as long as uh, Adrian's going to check in with the insurance, uh, make sure that there's nothing saying we can't have these goats, but I just talked to Alex Frazier um, about an hour ago and let him know and that we're like 99% there, so um, he said, he's, he's like, okay, I'm going to get them, get them up to date on their vac vaccinations and everything and then we'll have them come over, so. Uh, textiles will be using, so Angora goats give mohair, Angora rabbits give Angora. So um, they're called Angora goats, but it'll be mohair that will be spinning and making um, uh, yarn. So, um, and it'll be a very much a land and textiles joint venture. 
um, you know, text that it will become part of our routine to take care of them and feed them and help, you know, clean up stalls and whatever it takes, you know. Um, so I'm really super excited. Also, well, yeah, there's a lot of details that I'm excited about, but we don't have to talk about it here, but, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. But he's going to send us over, like, a packet of everything he's been feeding them and how he's been taking care of them, so. What do they eat? Just grass? Hay and a special grain, um, goat grain. Goat grain. He said he buys them a 40-pound bag that lasts them about six months, so, and that costs 20 so it's not too much, but they do eat a lot of hay. So, but we have a hay hookup yeah. <laughs> down the road. Yeah, we have our own hay that, so we, that we give away. What do you mean? Well, the the the, the field below Whitson Hall, uh -huh. Tom always lets it grow and then cuts it eventually for. Does he bale it? No, not. It used to be that that. The next door neighbor came by to 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 just our, our okay. <coughs> so we'll just keep our hay. Well, yeah, I think the idea <laughs> could be that we ask someone to do it, and they yeah. get the hay, and we get something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he did donate those six bales, so we'll have a start for the shepherd's stuff. Those are not the goats that eat poison ivy, is it? Um, I don't know. Okay, but I. I think we should have an additional goat <laughs> for poison <laughs> ivy eating. Yeah. <laughs> that breed specifically is, is really good at clearing brush. Awesome. That one? Yeah. Okay. This one. He did say that these particular goats are have sensitive mouths and they might not <laughs> want to get into like sticky stuff. So they take second cutting hay. But you know, of course animals often sort of train their handlers, so you know what I mean? So Maybe they'll, they'll try it if we encourage it, if it's all they have. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we can talk about sustainability again for a brief moment. Um, and we mentioned the natural dyings. Uh, last night at a gallery team meeting, somebody brought up that there was a natural dyeing workshop um, hosted before or is in the works. I'm sorry, I don't have that you know, exact, but uh, you know, that person didn't even know that we have somebody like Ali who does indigo dyeing and that we've talked about growing natural dyes here. And uh, with that connection made uh, the people, it, it raised excitement, you know, for the possibilities <coughs> of doing more workshops in, in that regard and yeah. facilitating. Yeah, dyeing right now is such a huge thing, especially with indigo and natural dyes. And um, with our one first, what our workshop in Phoenixville at Antoine went so well, and everybody was so excited. And it's, um, yeah, it's just a matter, it's like really just a matter of us doing it, and people will come. Doing it in terms of like somebody who, being not a textile person, how can, some, how can somebody not involved with textiles um, help support textiles in doing this? Um, Really just holding it, so it was a small space, so we thought definitely next time it needs to be here. I think it would be good. Um, the more people who just can help, so a lot of people in a workshop, maybe they're like, oh, you know, you show them what to do, and then they're like, takes them a while to sort of jump in, but the more people who are there to just sort of encourage and say, like, try this, try that, and then, you know, and um, of course, I feel like whenever there's more people in a creative environment, it just like 
it fuels that creativity. It's like, you know, sparks are firing and it just gets really amazing. So just really the presence of people who are interested in creative, like everybody here. So um, I think in the next 12 months, maybe we could even aim to set some budget or create a budget, whether it's through us, you know, baking amazing quiches and having an auction or something, um, uh, planning some natural dye that people could even come and be a part of. Like you asked Alyssa, how could people who aren't necessarily a textile expert help? Maybe they could help with planting the dyes, uh, planting the seeds for you know the dyes, harvesting them, <coughs> and uh, coming and learning. It could be like an immersion, like you learn this from the seed of. Yeah, I see that being as like just more of an intensive training, but um, this particular workshop we did, we charged $50 a head and it was, um, didn't cost very much for us to put it on and it was really successful. So I think that there's like different levels even. And I think that that level, at that level, we could, you know, there's so many things to do, but you know, if I were to say like, okay, I'm gonna plan that, I could have that ready, you know, in three weeks maybe. And, and it really did, a couple days before it actually happened, you put it on Instagram and then people signed up and it, it's like, I mean, CAP's website is so helpful. It's such a resource because there's already a bunch of people who are checking it, and, you know, following the Instagram. And now with this Emily person who is, anyway. Um, um, so yeah, so I think that there, yeah, there's so much we could. I could spend so much time talking about that. I don't know how much depth you want me to get into right now, but um, <clears throat> it's really just a matter of saying we're going to do it and then doing it, which is a lot of things. Sometimes it just takes, you know, somebody to say, let's do it. So to tie that into an asset that we currently have is an asset that we have is interest, mm -hmm. specifically interest in dyeing and textiles and that realm. So, um, and interest is a huge asset, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't do much without interest. So I think it's important to note that if that's kind of where the the interest is lying at the moment, it you know we could shade or color our efforts here, you know, rather than planting whatever in the gardens. Like, why don't we plant some dyes? Mm -hmm. It could not saying solely, of course not, but you know, we could. I would love to see other endeavors supported in small ways with what we have. With our dyeing plants, I mean, which kinds create a dye? I, I, I only know. So, uh, one plant that I think would be, I've never grown and I don't know what it would be like to grow, and I don't know if this is the plant name, but maybe you know. I don't really know what the background is, but matter? I mean, I'm familiar with the plant, but I don't. <coughs> it's a root? Okay. Um, we have a Okay. Is the plant called matter? Yeah. So, we've ordered, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's a natural dye company, and they send you a little, um, it's just a teeny little bit of powder, but um, it's ground matter is the one that, uh, it creates this really pretty like coral kind of peachy color. Um, so that would be a really cool plant to do. Indigo, of course, like, I don't know what the scientific name is. Um, I'm not looking for scientific <laughs> names. <laughs> um, there was the, oh, it was Tinker color, I think it's Tinker color, is the matter? Matter. Anyway, um, 
And then I'm just really into blueberries. <laughs> I think blue, blueberry dye is really beautiful. Okay. And I think even dyeing wood with it would be a really cool thing. So like if we could get people to like carve spoons and stuff and then we dye the wood. Just a silly just anything, dye anything with it. Just a silly question, beetroot, which is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is yeah that, of course, yeah. Is that yeah. what you're talking about when you say plant, plant dyeing plants? Yeah. Okay. Anything that, uh, turmeric is another one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, also we know there's silk with yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you buy the turmeric? Yes. Because um, I really, really would love to grow ginger and turmeric. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I like to be able to grow everything to make our fire cider. Yeah. <laughs> Do we still have bees actually? No. What's the bee asset situation? Sorry. Swarm busters. We bumped elbows with them while we were volunteering for Sweetwater. They're a local um, growing family and uh, raising family. They were interested in coming out, talking with us about setting up some hives caring for them and even having it be some kind of integrated thing, either maybe for a sultane, parcel day program for people to, you know. But does anybody know what happened? I mean, all I know is that Adam did bees here. Did he stop doing them? They always died. They died. died. Yes. Yeah, but, but is the equipment, was it his? Is it here? It's, yeah. There's boxes. We have it should boxes. be here. Yeah. Smoker. Smoker. Right. I don't know if that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. There were, like, full-on, like, Garter yeah. in the basement of Ronald Johnson. But to clarify, with Swarm it's a it's a really large operation, and they also um, source through other apiaries. Um, but there's personal, just like hobby hives that uh, the, there's a it's a collection of I think three or four brothers um, that want to do it also as a hobby and not just for a living. So they have like their Swarm Buston honey. Thing going on, and then the one brother is interested in setting up different hives in different locations <coughs> yeah. for their pollination, or yeah. they are really interested that we have an, an orchard and we have all these different yeah. things. And so, it wouldn't necessarily be under the umbrella of Swarm Bust and Honey. It would be this person, this person who wants to come use our land and set up his hives here. Yeah. And supposedly Chester County is like has such a large. It's a honey pot. Firesiders getting safer and safer. Yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff. Can I talk about the Pure Center for a second? Yeah. Um, I think, so I just want to like grab a couple bits and pieces that I've been hearing in these conversations. Um, I think what would be super cool is if we have a list of all of the like projects that we want to accomplish on the land and then um, you know, I have to like jump forward 10 years to imagine this thing actually operating to 
to feel like, yes, this is successful. So if we have like a little group of people who know that Soltine is a retreat center and we've got, you know, 40 rooms that people can come and stay and it's like, you can come here and, and like detox your, your life and like de-stress and do something, whether it be an art retreat, um, like a painting retreat or a ceramics retreat or come for, you know, local economy seminar and then there's all of these um, amenities that you can participate in. You can go in the sauna, you can come for like a yoga class. And then if we have a whole section of this retreat center is horticultural work and say we do like a week-long workshop on how to from scratch start a sensory garden. Or growing lavender plants and whatever and so you take the the gardens around Parador and people are paying to come for this retreat center and to have this experience and then we're creating <coughs> something with that and then we move on to the next project or if there's like a two-day workshop on um, backyard beekeeping and somebody who's an expert in beekeeping comes and does a little workshop and then the person who's participating in that is also having this experience and it's still educational and then I, I don't know I just feel like it's a reciprocal relationship I feel really self-conscious right now about being recorded I'm sorry really yeah it's weird okay. we've been doing this so much lately I feel like by saying it out loud maybe I could just like stop being stuck um, I don't know, I feel like that's kind of just like saying things that have already been said, but I kind of want to put it in the context of this potential retreat center because, why not? Is there, connected to that sort of the possibility that, that a project like that um, gets someone to come in and there's, say there's a project that we want to initiate here, maybe this is what you're saying, and then people would come to pay for the experience and an expert would come and create something and then Soltane would get, say, like a, a beehive setup, mm. and that yeah. would so you get the benefit yeah. of that, and people would be paying to have the yeah. experience of watching there's, it. Yeah. There's only one better thing than people volunteering, and that is when they pay you to <laughs> do work for you. And I think we totally need to get into that. I mean, last night there was some sort of uh, coffee grounds, Describe. something or other yeah. thing, and the way Larkin sent it to me was someone said oh we should make something with these coffee grounds and then it was like actually why don't we get people to pay us to make stuff with these coffee grounds i saw that on instagram and i was like <laughs> yes this is awesome that was larkin's idea uh sam and larkin or someone and larkin i don't yeah. know who the other Not person it. <laughs> it was like, you're like you know larkin right <laughs> <laughs> um, now i'm saying that i i think this can i say also I just want to throw it out there that I'm not 100% sure about Retreat Center because all this talk about, oh, you know, educational zoning, it's like, why not just say we're like a center of learning? Or I don't know, or, or is, because Retreat doesn't have necessarily a learning element to it. I don't think we should think that we only can do learning, but I think what we always tend to be talking about is something about not education in some sort of uh, 
you know, institutional sense necessarily, but like actually facilitating learning in this area about bees, about, you know, horticulture, about dyes, about, about doing things with your hands and, you know, other than just sort of like, you know, playing with your phone, you know what I mean? So I think maybe, I'm just wondering about this retreat center because it sounds like kind of be going into like a monastery and just sort of like gonna chill for a while. I don't know. When I hear you say retreat center every time I've heard it for the last, you know, however long, I I hear retreat center, but I think like workshop center. Mm -hmm. So it's still a place like people can relax and, and like de-stress, but in a very like active learning or educational environment. So like I hear retreat. So do you really mean retreat where it's like, you know, thinking like you're gonna be quiet, yeah. no, no talking. Because that's not that's not the sense I get from you. I sort of get this, you know, active relaxation. I don't know. I mean, that's a strategic plan yeah. process, isn't Maybe. it? Maybe both. <clears throat> I mean, I'm imagining it's a place where, like, who would come to a place like this? Somebody who's like stressed out in their corporate job. They just want to like go somewhere where they can splash around in the pool and like... Yeah, but the retreat thing, you go to it to have a retreat. I, I mean, just... I, I, I hear you. I'm just wondering why not retreat. people just think this is a center where they, or a, a hub or a, or, a, or a pool that they can just kind of get the, the thing from. They can, you might be in Phoenixville and literally never come here, but you learn from what's going on here. Like, you know, the... the Container thing was an example of that. I, I, I think that the only question there is how do we have, how do we ensure that it has the impact that was the intention behind that? Because that was a learning activity, at least I saw that. Um, and that was, you know, never having to come here. So I'm just wondering how to work with this like land and this all these things we've got here in a way that is not just that you come out here to learn but how we can, you know, spread learning about all these interesting things. I, 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 I'm actually quite serious that this is some, a conversation I expect to be happening through this strategic planning process. Uh, when I hear learning center, it does not conjure up something in me. All, all it is is what we put into the words is what actually comes back out of them. And, um, the workshops, you know, workshops sounds interesting. I keep saying it's not just about arts, it's also not just about the land, it's also about um, social justice, it is about social well-being, it is also about the crafts, and um, we may just come up with a really awesome name, but uh, uh, I have to say, this is not the place to discuss a name, I think, of something so big. Um, yeah, whatever. It, it, Isn't this part of the strategic plan? What, what do you think the strategic plan is? I, I, I'm just saying Danielle put out a vision of revitalizing life here, you know, not just the land, but really the atmosphere and making it humming again. And I really would like to get back to that place. And, uh, I think if we could find one word that represented everything that we were talking about, that would be great. Um, and maybe I just want to say for the recording, like you come here, you're connecting with yourself. You have an opportunity to connect with the person that you're in the workshop with. And you're creating something that's actually good in this 
social sustainability way that's good for the world. So like, that's what we're doing. That is what we've always been doing here. That's what we're doing with a new structure and it looks different. So how are we, you know, how are we doing it? How can we use the land to do that in a way that hangs together with everything else that's happening here? So I, I think I feel the, the conversation moving more so to, uh, you know, what, what are our hopes and dreams longer term? Um, which I think is a natural progression because we, we did actually start the conversation with like, what are things that we can be doing right now? Um, and just to recap, because it's getting close to the time that I think we should end for the, the time being, just to recap the kind of like current small things that we could be doing in the next 12 months or next season, um, just to have a larger focus and a, a designated group of people that are willing to work in the gardens so that people coming in can see, hey, people care about this place. Um, there's an investment in the land. Um, so it was brought about that maybe the estate committee would put together something like a house gardens group that would work on the gardens here just for aesthetic, but also just because that's what people do to make things nice to work. So um, also the, the idea of growing more food, whether it be in the greenhouse or whether it be in the, the raised beds outside, we really want to grow more food either for our community at large or maybe at some point to somewhere like Kimberton Whole Foods, packs um, an emphasis on just growing food. I think that was brought up a lot of different times. A huge asset is the composter, so people want to see the composter being used on a larger scale at some point, um, figuring out how to really maximize the potential of the, the composter. Um, the question of things like seeds and, and money to, to fuel these things. If a project is set forth with a, with a concrete business plan, a succinct business plan, um, and there's, it's focus-driven and, and could be a reality, um, so not to write anything off just because we don't have a van for the composter, whatever the issue is. Um, and the idea the, the kind of, to bring in textiles into all of this, there seems to be an interest in textiles, dyes, um, the goats is exciting. All of these things are things that are happening in the here and now um, and seem to be positive. Um, and then the honeybees, that's kind of in, you know, a little bit later, the honeybees a little bit later growing the dyes. Um, and then after that, this, this vision of a retreat center or a, a center of sorts and um, equipping the land and ourselves to um, be prepared for people to come here and what, what kind of atmosphere we want to offer people on the land, what kind of sense people should have when they get here. Um, uh, that was my attempt at a summary. If anybody wants to amend that. Okay, so um, Danielle, we talked about moving this third part to um, January 3rd at 3.45. Um, and Is that a Thursday? It's a Thursday, yeah. And um, <coughs> maybe we can leave tonight with, with those sort of 
these are the things that we're doing in the here and now and are really great. These are the things that we want to be doing and maybe how that ties in with the possibility of a retreat center or the possibility of, actually I had a conversation with my, my coach just last, maybe two days ago, and she was like, you know, what, are you, what is your dream? And, and even if it's like so far-fetched, like don't even let anything, you know, hinder your just like wildest dream. And it, it was weird how long it took me to like, uh, get myself out of my own way kind of a thing like it was really bizarre how I was so unwilling to let myself dream really wildly um, so I think that would be kind of a cool exercise like and I, I like what Adrian says like you know rules are yes there's rules but there's always room to really dream wild and crazy and big because why not so maybe we could meet on January 3rd with like those really wild and crazy ideas but maybe also inspiration and hope for the here and now as well, and to get together uh, a succinct proposal or guide or something to hand to the um, uh, thank you. <laughs> strategic planning group um, and saying like, here, these are the group of people who have an interest on the land, this is what we come up with, here's our nugget, love the land people. <laughs> Can we have the really big whiteboard and some some paper to sure. put on next time? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. Thank you. Do you want me to turn it off? I'm just checking. Do you want it?